0: Is it recording now? It's recording now. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to the Millennial Wine Group podcast. Um, I am sitting here with my good buddy, Matt Lombardi, and today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about cigars and um, how they play a role, not only in you enjoying wine, but enjoying brown liquor, rum, as what we're actually drinking this morning. When I say this morning, its it might be noon by now, but it doesn't really matter. We are degenerates. It's five o'clock somewhere. So, um, and we're actually smoking cigars as well to be as authentic as we can in this process, so please bear with us. But, um, so Matt has a a much more extensive experience with cigars. I kind of got into cigars a couple years ago. Uh, When I first would see them, I would kind of just, you know, I don't know. I think anybody that doesn't smoke cigars doesn't really have an appreciation for how good they are until they really give it a chance, like a lot of things. So I had a positive experience it kind of opened my eyes to how enjoyable they could be. Uh, I think I really, honestly, first saw Arnold Schwarzenegger smoking a cigar. He looks so cool. Yeah, <laughs> that guy is just. Is there any makes cigar cool cigar smoker or no? I don't know.
1: Well, and it doesn't hurt that he was the governor of California and mm-hmm. had an entire smoking tent set up on the back of the governor's mansion lawn, where he would just host dignitaries and all that fun stuff. So. I mean,
0: what better way is there to conduct business? Oh yeah. I mean, realistically though, smoking a cigar. What I love about it is it forces me to sit there for an hour and not move yeah you know it does. And, and kind of think and enjoy yourself i've actually heard statistically that cigar smokers believe it or not live longer on average than non-smokers and it could be because they actually take time to sit back and enjoy themselves and and maybe not not be so stressed i mean yeah
1: i mean it wouldn't surprise me at all i don't know the the actual research on it but there's just something that's like a meditative practice about smoking cigars right i mean there's a ritual to it you have to cut it you light it you choose the cigar intentionally. You know. You know you're going to commit to an hour of it. If you're like me and you have a significant other, it also means that you have to commit to showering and new laundry and
0: Matt is all that on, kind of stuff. Matt so. is on loan this weekend. His wife's out of town. Yeah. She
1: was nice enough to uh, <laughs> to uh,
0: to turn him over. All right, so <clears throat> Matt, why don't you just you want to talk a little yeah. bit about how you got into cigars and, and sort of what, what the moment was for you and maybe that one little run you went on in college where you pretty much smoked yeah. more than you, <laughs> than you breathed clean air for like a week. and.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so my history with cigars started when I was 18. At the legal age, you could start smoking in the state of Florida at the time. And I grew up in Florida, which is significant i think for my kind of experience with cigars because it's such a hotbed for cigars i mean you know if i would have grown up in illinois or new york or arizona or any other place i don't know that i would have had the exposure to really great cigars and kind of that culture that you have in florida Uh, where i grew up was really close to tampa which was at one point the cigar capital of the world um arturo fuente was based there you had uh cuesta del rey that was based there for a long time so you just had this culture and it was just kind of in the air um not no pun intended on that but it really was this idea that um, cigars were a part of a broader culture that was the Cuban culture, not just uh, not just something you did as a habit or as an addiction or something like that. It was so closely tied with great Cuban coffee and great, uh, great Cuban dishes, and it was just part of the whole kind of um, lifestyle and experience. So that was that was kind of my first introduction to it was as a kid, kind of seeing this kind of stuff, seeing cigar festivals and the rollers down in Ybor City, um, and then really my personal experience with it started uh, when I had a mentor of mine, who I really looked up to and respected, and he smoked cigars. And so uh, he actually gave me my first cigar that was, looking back on it, just a terrible one. But, uh, but at the time was exactly what I wanted um, because it introduced me to it. And <clears throat> that's an important thing with cigars. So much of it has less to do with the cigar itself as much as it does the experience, right? And like who you share that with, yeah. um, the memories you create, the conversations you have around the cigar are oftentimes a lot more important than whether or not the cigar is actually good or not. So that's how I kind of got into cigars to start was just through a mentor.
0: So it's kind of funny you bringing that up because wine uh, and, and even and, you know, bourbon can be considered the same way. It's it's all about, you know, even the same way with just having dinner with somebody. It's the ritual. Yeah. It, it's sort of, you know, it's uh there's a bonding over a kind of like a shared affection for something. And that uh, kind of opens up to like even
1: you know, better conversation yeah. and company and all that. Yeah. And going uh, back on the, I, I didn't actually touch on it. You asked me about it. I, I did go through a tear in college. So <laughs> I went to Florida State and I went on a tear through college for about two years where I smoked at least a cigar a day. It, it, I mean, at least there were days where it was two or three, um, Jeez. and I had a great front porch. <laughs> and, uh, I would just sit out there and smoke cigars. And I was an undergrad and I was a religious studies major, which mean, meant that I didn't have a major. And so I would just sit around and smoke cigars all day and blow through uh, college funds, which was looking back on it incredibly dumb but incredibly enjoyable. Yeah, and it was so, just, that's yeah.
0: like probably not as bad as some of the other college experiences I've heard as far as debauchery yeah. goes. Sitting on the porch smoking cigars. I mean, yeah, it was. We like were si- lighting furniture on right. fire, like I've seen in uh, Santa Barbara. Yeah, oh, it was really or, cool. Uh, I would sit around, and smoke or, cigars, and
1: read like Immanuel Eman- Kant and all this kind of stuff, and just read <laughs> philosophy. And uh, yeah, I, I had a lot of friends. That sounds <laughs> awesome. Um,
0: okay, so y- you kind of touched on on the the ritual of the cuban culture yeah. would you say that in, in the modern era you know in the last 100 and 150 years i i don't really know much about the history of cigars as far as how far it goes yeah. back was it the cubans that sort of brought this to the forefront of attention or, or what can you know yeah. can you kind of so, touch on how that yeah, came yeah, into yeah, fruition
1: it, yeah so uh, originally yeah uh, tobacco was a pretty uniquely cuban experience um it was something that was grown kind of all throughout central america But really the first uh, known exploration of it was when actually Columbus lands in what's now Cuba. Um, You know, everyone says he discovered America, he ended up actually landing in Cuba and he sees that these people smoking tobacco. And so actually the early trade of cigars was mostly done through Spain. At one point, um, Spain had the largest kind of tobacco house in the world because the Spanish government had taken uh, all the tobacco that Christopher Columbus brought back and made that a massive industry and kind of spread it across Europe and the Western world. And so that's really where it starts, but it does still have its roots in Cuba. It just kind of got exposed to a broader culture through exploration in the new world. Uh, and then you kind of fast forward, uh, and, and it you know quickly became kind of the luxury item, uh, like most things in the new world, whether that was sugar or cotton or tobacco, it became the thing that everyone had to have. It was a status symbol, right?
0: Or pineapples.
1: Or pineapples, yeah, pineapples too. <laughs> Great examples, pineapples, love pineapples. Uh, and so all of those became really popular in the, in, uh, in the Western European sort of world, and that's really where it starts. And Cuba is still today uh, uh, the area, it's, it's a valley called Pinar del Rio, that really creates some of the best tobacco in the world. It's, you can think of it as the Napa Valley of Cuba. Um, the, one of the issues though, is that, um, Cuba, while they still produce some great cigars, um, this kind of, you, you see it a lot with wine. People are kind of elitist when it comes to certain regions, they're sketchy about hop, hopping, on onto kind of new world wines. You know, you, you always no. Kind of have, this hes- no, not at all. Right. You always have this hesitancy towards exploring new things. Um, but really culture has shifted in the past, you know, ever since Fidel Castro came to power because what you had was all of these great kind of, um, Family rollers who were rolling cigars, blending cigars in Cuba, working with the tobacco, working with the land, who under Fidel Castro realized, like, man, this is not going to be a good life for me. Uh, and not to make any political statements, but it, you know, essentially, they were robbed of a lot of their ability to do business. And so you had these wonderful families who were the just kind of bastions of great cigar making in Cuba, who, with the revolution in the '60s, decide, eh, this isn't really the place for us anymore. And so you have them kind of spread throughout all of Central America. So now you have some of the best rollers in the world who aren't in Cuba. You have great cigars coming out of Nicaragua, out of Honduras, out of the Dominican Republic. Really, anywhere now in Central America, you can find a country that's making great cigars, and it doesn't have to be from Cuba.
0: What a fascinating thing to think. Um, you know, you could have a, a, the, the matriarch of a family, a, a winemaker maybe, who, you know, I, I think about some of the big names in Napa that are, are a generational thing, Yeah. Um, where you have, you know, a father and son working together, and that father... know toiled in the vineyards in the Napa maybe in the 1960s or 70s or even Bordeaux or Italy I mean the Antonori family goes back I think something ridiculous like 26 generations I mean it's been in their family for hundreds of years and um, so you think about you have these winemaking practices and I could dare say secrets to some extent as far as what you do in the cellar being passed on from father to son and that's sort of where there's an establishment of of knowledge and and I would say um, you know, making sure the benchmark uh, of your quality is high. Okay. Did that sort of? Um, I, it sounds like that lineage was passed on, maybe from father to son. With the, yeah. with the <laughs> we just we, we had a technical difficulty there. We just lost power. We're back. We're back. Sorry about that.
1: We'll edit that in post. Um. <laughs> so we're good. Okay. I think, for now. Okay. <laughs> cool. Continuing so, on.
0: I would ask as well. Is this something like, as far as being the best roller in the world, or or, the, or some of the the big rollers? Is that something that's a a past trait, or or something from generation to generation, or is it sort of like, you know, is it a secret? Like, what what is the is there some sort of yeah. um, sort of uh, Cloud or like myth built around the roller. Yeah, I mean
1: definitely. I mean the roller is a incredibly respected person in Cuban culture, uh, and so there is some of that. I would say probably the the secrets and tricks are gonna rely more around the actual blending process, um, similar to like you would have in the Champagne region, uh, where so much effort goes into the blending of different varietals together, and that's really where the secret sauce is. It's gonna be similar with um, with the artistry in cigars, where the trying to get the right tobacco blends to to really um to play into each other to complement each other well is really where the art comes in now the rolling is certainly something that is is passed down but a lot of that is just practice right it's just i mean guys just spending hours and and women too some of the best rollers in the world are women actually uh and so just spending hours and hours a day rolling uh, and and building that craft and that art Um, but really, two three four check one two
0: so we had some technical difficulties here, which it wouldn't be a podcast if there wasn't an audio issue. Um, podcasts would be so much easier if we didn't have to uh, record them. We could just have a conversation here in the it's backyard. Um, so we were talking about lineages of um, family history as far as, the, the, you know, we talk about the blend going into a cigar is really the magic, really, you know, product is everything, right? I mean, it's right. like if you have you know, inferior grapes going into your, your wine, you're not going to have a great product. It's pretty straightforward. So obviously the same thing goes with, I'm assuming the land, the soil, everything, all that goes into exactly. making premium tobacco.
1: Yeah, yeah, the exact same way as wine. It's, it's pretty staggering once you start learning about both. And unfortunately, there isn't always a lot of carryover between the two worlds. There's such a, uh, just a, a notion out there about cigar smoking, cigar smokers, that either you have this view of a mobster in New Jersey, who's just (laughs) grossly overweight, shoving his face with, like, ribeye steaks. Tony Soprano? Yeah, Tony (laughs) Soprano, exactly, right? Like, you have that sort of a view. Or there's, like, the old man in Florida who's dying on the beach somewhere smoking cigars and playing golf. And, unfortunately, uh, both of those miss the culture and artistry behind cigars. Um, and, And they miss how similar it is to wine, and that just like you say, it's the product that goes into it. It has to be a great product, just like a lot of, I think specifically of like Pinot Noir, when I think of, of tobacco, because just like Pinot, it's incredibly temperamental to grow. Um, you have to be exact, in when you're pulling it from the, the tree, uh, or rather the the bush, when you're deciding to take certain parts of the bush off, Like everything that goes into the tobacco process is just as much of a science um, as it is with winemaking. They're testing soil contents all the time. They're enriching soil if they need to. Uh, it's the when do you pull off the tobacco leaves and how long do you let them dry under what conditions do you let them dry, just like you would have with, say, your your barrel house or your cellar, like how long are you letting stuff sit in, in oak? All these things go into play with cigars just like they do with wine.
0: So what would you, uh, as far as the tobacco plant itself, um, ageability is something that I'm curious about because, uh, <clears throat> they talk about, like I've heard different stories of uh, not only the, uh, first of all, I'll back, get back to that in a second, uh, there's a, a story I heard one day being told that uh, when the the rollers themselves are working in factories that because they do it for so many hours on end that they'll have, they used to have somebody come in and read stories to them <laughs> so that they wouldn't be bored. Have you ever heard anything like that? I've,
1: I've heard of that before yeah, I mean it's, it, it would not shock me at all if you had that sort of a thing going <laughs> on it's, I mean it's incredibly um incredibly skilled labor, but it is still in a form of manual labor. I mean, it's just it's tedious. Yeah, ask, you're rolling scars for hours on end. Um, and that that's something that I'm not sure uh, exists. I mean, maybe the closest thing would be the the kind of hired hands are going out and pull, pulling the grapes uh, in can, the
0: can a machine imitate how well a human being can roll a cigar? Absolutely not. <laughs> nice, okay, that's uh, good they, to they know tried. that machines can't do everything yeah, they, that we they, can do. Yeah, they've
1: tried. Um, that's where you see, I mean, you see these all the time. If you just go into a gas station, right? Swisher Sweets, White Owls, all these sort of things. Those are all machine-rolled cigars. Yeah. Um, and and so at this point, they still haven't figured out a way to do them as well with automation as they can by hand. And also, there, there are so many different ways you can roll. So you can do a traditional kind of Typical Cuban style triple cap. Uh, as far as a roll, you can have so many different sa- shapes. You can have a robusto, you can have a toro, you can have a figurado, you can have all these exquisite shapes. Uh, Don Pepin Garcia, who is, in my opinion, the best roller in the world alive today, also one of the best blenders. Uh, he is notorious for rolling just ridiculous shapes. So he's rolled whole pipes, like tobacco pipes, that are in like all out of tobacco. Uh, like literally rolled a cigar in the shape of of a tobacco pipe, and you just Google image search it, and it's incredible the work that he's done. Wow. Uh, and now, those are obviously for show, they're not always gonna taste great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but just the the artistry that goes into it, I, it would be hard for <clears> me <throat> to imagine Somebody a machine, machine do that. do that same sort of
0: thing. All right, so very quick, I'm sorry, yeah. I digress, but back to ageability. I've heard stories as well of like, uh, you know, uh, uh, 1960s, you know, JFK era, yeah. embargo era, yeah. uh, Tobacco leaves that have been stored somewhere and that are essentially, essentially are coming to light and being released. Yeah. I mean, how long can you, if you're storing tobacco properly, what is the ideal? What's the ideal way to store it, and, yeah. and how long can they age potentially? So
1: ideally, you're going to want to store it in a humidor. Uh, if you don't have a humidor and you want to get in cigars, they're really cheap. You can usually pick them up for under fifty bucks. Yeah. Uh, really, you're going to want a temperature around seventy degrees to stay pretty consistent, just like a wine cellar. You know, you have kind of specific, uh, consistent. Temperature is also humidity. That's the biggest thing with cigars. You don't want it to be too humid, otherwise you start to grow bacteria on those that is going to ruin the cigar. They get too wet. That tobacco really needs to thrive right around 70 degrees and about 70% humidity. Uh, There's a little bit of give and take with that. Some people go as high as like 72%. I actually keep my humidor at the house right around 66%. Um, That's just what I like personally for my cigars. Uh, But some of that's just trial and error, and that's the fun of, of getting into cigars as a hobby. you get to really decide like hey how do you how do you like to age your cigars as far as how long i don't usually recommend more than 15 years Um, so the the pre-embargo cubans that you can get uh they're a great experience now you're not going to destroy your cigar because it's aged forever Uh, it's still obviously you can still smoke it. it's not going to disintegrate and it's still going to be an enjoyable experience but it's kind of like when a wine has aged too long you can start to tell it's just it's oxidized a little bit it's, uh, it's maybe gone a little flat. The awesome same sort of vibrancy. In, yeah, yep. it's awesome vibrancy. The same thing happens, in my opinion, with cigars that are more than 15 years old. Mm. Um, not that you can't smoke them and still enjoy them, especially if it's, like we said, not as much about the flavor as it is the experience. Yeah. But you really, 15 years are going to be about the max you want to age them. So.
0: so let's talk about, uh, <clears throat> just because I touched on that embargo era, I I have a, a fascination, for some reason, with JFK. I think yeah. it's it just... That whole time period in America was so amazing. It was so interesting. You know, got so much was changing um, culturally, economically, in every way. I mean, we were off the back of a couple wars and getting right into uh, another one. And and uh, you know, you had this young charismatic president, and and yada yada yada. But they go ahead and they embargo Cuba, and and I I've, I've heard as well that I don't think is any sort of like secret by any means, but. JFK loved cigars. JFK yeah, loved Cubans. He, he loved H upmans, I believe.
1: Yeah, he did. He actually had, uh, his, and he had them shipped right, yeah, right, before
0: shipped the right before the embargo. Like thousands of a them. Massive <laughs> collection of
1: them. I mean, listen, you can you can play politics all you want, but you know, you aren't going to give up your cigars or probably your wine for that matter. Mm-hmm. If tomorrow, you know, uh, they decided they wanted to embargo all of France from Bordeaux, yeah, I a feeling you would have the same thing, you'd have a lot of a lot of senators who maybe even chose to do that, who would really quickly order up a lot of Chateau Margaux.
0: So I've also heard as well that. Um, as far as crop rotation or the main the, the, the maintenance of a healthy soil um, is something that maybe Cuba didn't sort of put a lot of care or effort into, that they over-fertilized their soils to produce as much tobacco as they could to, to sell their product. So I've heard in a lot of ways that the Cubans, you know, modern Cubans have a lot of kind of, uh, or kind of earthy fertilizer-type quality to them and that the quality isn't what it used to be. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, I
1: mean it... <laughs> it really depends on the producer, right? So, so there's certainly gonna be some who, who did things differently, but that, that is one of the struggles that Cuba has with their cigar industry is that it is all still technically under the government. And so with that, you kind of have laws that are passed on how they have to keep up production. And so it definitely has, I don't think there's anyone who would say that hasn't influenced quality. I think you still have, um, kind of like you might see with the economy in America, right? You see kind of the, the best getting better and the, the rest kind of not getting so great. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, so the same thing is happening in the cigar industry in Cuba, which is the great ones are still great, right? Like you're still going to get phenomenal stuff out of them. But where you might have gone just on the street in Havana and picked up a hand-rolled one by some random you know guy on the, the road, it yeah. was phenomenal before. Now that quality really is dipping. Uh, and so you don't really see quite so much equity across the board in Cuban quality.
0: Anymore. I don't see how that's possible. Government knows best.
1: Yeah, yeah they always know best, <laughs> right? Just, just let them handle it. Trust us. It'll all be okay.
0: Um, okay, so uh, what was the cigar that did it for you? Was there an aha moment, or was it just over time you slowly kind of fell in love with it, or was there one where the light bulb went off?
1: Yeah, I mean, there there actually was, and it wasn't a cigar you would expect at all. Um, so, I mean, there, there were a few Black cigars. and mild? Yeah, it was a black and mile. Yeah, it was a purple <laughs> grape white owl. Uh, actually, the most, actually, probably the most in, enduring memory I do have from the cigar was a grape white owl when I much to drink and I was going through a a, a absurd college breakup Uh, so that's the one that sticks out the most that's a different story for a different day Uh, but the the cigar that probably did it for me was actually um, at a cigar shop in New Orleans called Don Leoncia uh, and they had a Gran Reserva uh, Maduro It was essentially just a great Maduro Nicaraguan uh, tobacco on it that um, yeah I I tasted it and it was just the best thing I'd ever had in my life Uh, and it was unexpected because Most of the time when you go into a local cigar shop and they have something that's kind of been private labeled for them it's not that great uh or it's you know it's it's decent but it's just it's what you expect it's a factory that said yeah we'll stick a label on whatever Um, but this was just out of this world good and so i've actually done a lot of research and have been kind of searching online for years ever since um to find exactly what that cigar was all about Uh, and i've ordered some boxes from them in the past and they're always just phenomenal uh, but that one specifically i found out was by a great company called pinar del rio that was based in the dominican republic uh and was private labeling for them and it was something that they had since like discontinued for their own wine but it was just that was the that was the cigar that really uh for me changed things and opened me up to what i would consider is like exactly what i love in cigars uh, which is uh, similar to wine i tend to like something really full-bodied Something that has a lot of um, a lot of kind of like chocolatey mocha characteristics, stuff that has the kind of that, that coffee flavor to it. Uh, so it really defined for me what I love in cigars. Because before that, I kind of just hopped around to a lot of different things. I could never put my finger on what I liked about one versus the other. Which is something that's similar to wine, right? Like when you find out what sort of wine you love, it really opens up. It, even though it would seem to shrink the world, it really opens up the world to
0: you. Yeah, it's, you the, it's really, the, the catalyst, the yeah, gateway.
1: You, you yeah. kind of get into, okay, this is what I love, this is what I don't like. That's I know I'm what kind it, of so. wine you love. You know, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it rhymes a lot with Pemis. So.
0: <laughs> All right, so if you were to just give somebody a, a quick, you know, elevator pitch, one-minute crash course in cigar yeah. smoking, um, cool. I wouldn't say cigar smoking, but like, yeah. Just a breakdown of like Connecticut wrapper versus like a sun grown versus shade yeah. grown. I mean, if you want to just like give people just a couple of guidelines if they're going to go out and yeah. buy a cigar now. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what maybe one you'd start with and, and what yeah, you might progress to. to. Yeah, yeah that's,
1: that's a lot of times one of the biggest problems. Like, I think Scotch is very similar to this. Um, that people have a bad experience the first time because they have a friend. They get his. Lafroig. Yeah, they get LaFroigue the first time, right? And the like, oh, sucks. And <laughs> it's like, no. It's just, like Band-Aids. It's like, no, garbage. just a, a jerk. And that's, <laughs> that's the problem. And so it's the same thing with cigars. Uh, if you decide, it's, it's actually really incredibly simple. If you've not smoked cigars before, look for the one that's the lightest in color. And that's probably going to be the one that is going to be the easiest to smoke. It's going to be a lot creamier it's not going to be as heavy it's not going to be as full body which one is adam sir so that would be anything so if you go into a cigar shop you're yep. looking around just visually you don't need to know anything else look for the one that's the lightest in color Yeah. so if it's if it looks like it's you know just like tan just a tan that's probably a better thing than the one that looks black the one yeah. that looks black is going to mess you up yeah um and you can get into that's usually going to be a connecticut wrapper yeah. Right? Like a Connecticut wrapper is almost always going to be a lighter body, unless they're doing something really funky. Is
0: there more of a challenge shade growing tobacco like that?
1: There is, yeah. I mean, there definitely is. The other thing that, and it gets into the blending, right, is it's a lot harder to get a complex flavor with light stuff. Um, the same way, you know, sometimes you don't get quite the complexity out of a Pinot Noir or something like that as you would with some sort of a blend or something a little bit heavy. I mean, you can just open up a lot more flavors. Uh-huh. Um, and, and it's it's just tough to get a really complex flavor out of a light cigar. So you don't see as many cigar companies making light cigars. Um, and it's also just really, trends right now are really moving towards something that's a heavier cigar. Uh, so that would be the best kind of one minute advice. Look for what's the lightest wrapper, go with that. And then also know what you like in other things. Like if you really love big, heavy, full-bodied wines, you can probably go with something that's a little bit darker, a Maduro wrapper, something that is going to be a sun-grown that's got a little bit more spice to it.
0: The same you way can, if you like your coffee. Right. If you yeah. like your coffee black, yeah. you're
1: probably going to be a little bit more willing to do that. If you like, you know, kind of an American palate, something a little bit sweeter, a little bit uh, more mild, then, then go with something that's a little bit lighter.
0: I don't have nearly the depth of breath that uh, that you do, but uh, I know for me, like, the Connecticut's that got me sort of into it at the time, and I'm sure a lot of really hardcore cigar enthusiasts would be like, this amateur, but... uh. It was Rocky Patel, the Connecticut Ninety Nines, yeah, yeah, and, uh, and, and Ashton in yeah. Ashton, 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 is, Connecticut. Ashton would
1: definitely be the brand Ashton and Davidoff. And, Davi- yeah, and David, yeah, and Davidoff, Davidoff, Davidoff would, as well. Would be the two brands to look at. Uh, both higher end, definitely going to spend more money. Yeah, uh, definitely
0: with Davidoff more than even uh, like you can get Davidoff an Ashton, Ashton. Uh, Connecticut for like twelve bucks. Yeah, twelve, thirteen bucks. But the but producing. the uh, the Davidoff's going to start so more start like closer to twenty. 20. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and so I mean those are great lighter cigars, but those would definitely be the two brands to look for if you want something lighter. And, and the great thing about cigars right now is, you know, people will say, well, what's a good brand? Like, should I buy from this one or that one? They're really, if it's in your local cigar shop, it probably doesn't suck. There aren't a lot of cigars on the market today that really suck. There's just such competition that if you don't put out a good product, yeah it's not going to get carried.
0: Like, I, I always talk about, too, you know, the the uh, you, with wine, right, it's like you'll drink whatever is in your store you'll you'll drink what makes it to your store so i always think how much of it comes down to marketing right like yeah. somebody had to ha- have to be savvy enough to basically find somebody to an importer to take their wine right. and like say from france and bring it to america and distribute it and have it be picked up and sold and so i just wonder if you know you always wonder what, what the best cigar or the best wine you've never tried is because it never made it to our shores. Right? Is that, that you that know? That happens
1: all the time. I mean, that's just going back to the story I told about my favorite cigar I've ever had. Yeah. That cigar is ne- I've never seen that cigar outside of that one shop. Yeah. And. Yet to me, despite the fact that you know I've probably tried over a thousand cigars in my life and yeah. different brands, different styles, that's still the best one I've ever had. I've had everything as expensive as pre-embargo Cubans that I paid you know 150 bucks for, yeah. all the way down to you know Grape White House for 99 cents. Right? Yeah, yeah. And so.
0: How are the pre-embargo Cubans?
1: They're fantastic. I mean, were they...
0: Was it where there's a nostalgic factor there, probably? You know, it's right. It's the whole, what it represents. Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. It,
1: you're smoking a piece of history, right? Yeah, and, I love and it. That's a, that's a sort of feel that you can't really replicate. Um, and so, yeah, that history, the the, the sort of mental state it puts you into smoke, something like that, is just a whole different experience. Uh, but as far as the actual quality, I mean, listen, there are a lot of things out there you can pay a lot of money for. That doesn't make them good. It means that someone marketed it and said we want it.
0: The same way Pappy Van Winkle has become a commodity. Right. Not, to, not, not to, uh, not to, cause yeah, not to, because Pappy Van Winkle is good. Yeah. yeah um, it's just that uh, it's, it's a, com- dollars a, bottle, you know, no, right. it's a commodity people, you know, if they have the money they'll pay for it, they want it. So, Absolutely. um, okay. So, so we, we kind of covered Connecticut as a way to start. Yeah. Um, what would you progress into? When I would ask as well, if you want to touch on, on when you hear the term uh, Robusto or you hear the term um, uh, Toro, yeah. um, size-wise, yeah. or, or, you know, Churchill's even, I yeah. mean, what would you sort of, what Steer would you recommend? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: It depends on a lot of factors, like most things. It depends on how much time you have, how, how experienced you are. If you're not an experienced smoker, I would not recommend a Churchill. Even though it looks cool, that's gonna. Do you
0: know uh, the history behind Churchill? Is it just that he loved he loved big giant Yeah, yeah. named it after him. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Should have called it stuff, the Bay right? Ruth. Yeah, that would have exactly. been more fun. Like, that would have been better for <laughs> the American market at least. Yeah,
1: but yeah. So I mean, if you if you were non-experienced smoker, I would immediately go with something like a Robusto mm. or a Toro, something that's gonna be a little bit shorter in length, uh but maybe uh you know, like just kind of average size and ring gauge. So ring gauge is gonna essentially refer to how wide the cigar is, like the circumference across it, whereas your length is going to be obviously the length of the cigar.
0: I've heard the shorter the cigar too, the hotter it is in some sense, so it's almost like counterintuitive, like you'd want to maybe even start with something slightly longer just so that... that's why the
1: Toro is a really good option, because the Toro is longer than a Robusto, it's also going to be thinner, Um, so you're actually going to get... Generally, the thinner the cigar is, uh, the more flavor you're going to get from the wrapper, which is going to be the most expensive part of the cigar usually and where most of the flavor lies. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, Lanceros are really hot right now. Uh, that's really popular because they're really long and skinny. I don't personally like them because I like to get a lot of smoke, and I don't feel like I get a lot of smoke out of the Lanceros. That's why I usually will smoke a Robusto or something that's a big ring gauge because I feel like you get a lot of a lot of smoke from the draw of those nice and so I really enjoy those uh, some people though don't enjoy that as much and so you go with something that's a little bit thinner ring gauge yeah uh, but for a starter yeah a, a Toro would be a great place to start if they want to progress and eventually get up to something like a Churchill that's really a two-hour cigar I say you know like like block out two hours of your day where you' are yeah. gonna maybe eat some food with it you're gonna have a few drinks you're gonna you can leave it for a little while and then come back to it. Um, the other thing with cigars is don't be afraid to, to walk away from it for a little while. You know, I mean, don't be afraid to let it. A good cigar should be able to last three, four, five minutes without you taking a puff on it. So you can, you know, you can kind of set. That's it down my for problem. It. It's patience. Yeah, yeah, patience with it is huge when it comes to cigars. That's one of the reasons most people get sick from cigars. They smoke so fast. Yeah. They smoke them like they would imagine, you know, in the movies, or if they're experienced smoking cigarettes, they just take draw after draw after draw like they have to chain smoke it. Yeah. But you don't. You can take. You know, two three four five minutes between each puff and really kind of savor it and enjoy it so
0: awesome um okay so then you have you know what, what would be like last question as far as as user info if somebody wanted to go f- as full-bodied as they could yeah dark cigar you know yeah. uh are is there are there some you would be so, are there for are there some that come to your name yeah, that, that come to your mind so, some so brands just
1: category you'd be looking for like a double escuro or a uh a double Maduro is kind of what you'd be looking for. Um, I believe it's. Uh, I'm going to blank on the, the brand right now, um, off the top of my head.
0: Remember, Julius Caesar has pretty, some pretty dark cigars. So they I don't do, know if-
1: they do. There's a there's a Camacho. That's who it is. Camacho actually has a triple Maduro. That's Ooh. really short. Um, that will mess you up. Uh, it's great. It's a fantastic cigar. But it is that's probably the heaviest one I know of that's out there is that triple Maduro. Yeah. It's really really heavy. The other thing to think of with when we say like heavy versus not heavy is, is spice. Yeah. That's, that's something people don't really think of as much with cigars. But if you get a lot of pepper on it, that can feel like it's really heavy uh, yeah. and can really send you on a bad, a kind of a bad cigar trip if, if you aren't experienced. So, uh, there are, La Gloria Cubana is another one that has a really dark, I believe it's just their standard Maduro, but it is spicy as all get out. Yeah. And that's going to be one uh, that would be another recommendation if you want something really heavy um, to kind of go with.
0: All right, favorite non alcoholic pairing. Uh, with a cigar.
1: Favorite non alcoholic pairing with a cigar? Um, I am from the South, so sweet tea immediately comes okay. to mind. Nice. Uh, the sweetness <laughs> is really nice, on uh, like to me at least. That's one of the reasons I enjoy and prefer rum with cigars as well, as I think rum. I mean, it's. That's classic. the next question. Don't yeah, get there. You're ahead of yourself. Classic <laughs> food, uh, kind of classic food and wine pairing, similar, right? Like you pair wines and foods are kind of from the same region. Yeah. I like the same thing with cigars, uh, even though sweet tea isn't really from Cuba, but it's it's Southern-ish. I do like a so. Cuban coffee with cigar though. Cuban coffee is great. Espresso
0: or yeah. any kind of Absolutely. like French press. That can
1: really bring out a lot of great flavor with it. yeah, so, yeah those are two two great options. Um, then, and, and then don't overlook water, right? Like water is <laughs> like, uh, that sounds ridiculous, but it really, you're really gonna get the most out of your cigar if you're drinking water with it.
0: You're not you're masking just, a flavor. Right. What about uh, alcoholic pairing then? Would it be rum?
1: Yeah, I, I tend to go. This for rum, rum is pretty nice. Yeah, this rum is pretty nice. What rum is, what rum is this, this that, that we're drinking, is by a the way? Kappa, uh twenty-three year, I think. Nice. Uh, it's definitely my go-to rum. Uh, the great thing about rum is you can get some great aged rum at really cheap prices because it's not, it's not gotten quite the prestige in America that say Scotch or Bourbon has yet, and it's not become the hot new thing. And even tequila is kind of on the rise right now, and rum is something that's still a hidden secret. So I'd say if you can, you can get fantastic rums that have a ton of age on them for under 50 bucks. We, all
0: day. We just had a co-worker that came back from Cuba last week and uh, he specifically brought a suitcase just to bring back rum. Yeah. I think he brought back close to a dozen bottles. Which is a shame <laughs> because
1: we can't really get great Cuban rum, right? Because of the embargo still. And yeah. so some of the some of the best rum in the world is made in Cuba and we don't have access to it. Uh, but this one, the Ronza Kappa is I believe it's actually from Guatemala. Okay. Uh, which is, there are not too many Guatemalan rums. Uh, this may be one of the few that actually comes out of there, but it's absolutely fantastic. It's my my go-to kind of sipping rum.
0: Okay. And then what if I'm going to throw a bourbon one out there? I, yeah. I, I discovered a couple of years ago, I don't know, years ago, I'd say maybe yeah. a year or so ago, a little more, E.H. Uh, e. Taylor, which is, is pr- probably my favorite bourbon, I guess I'd say. Yeah. Um, and the E.H. Taylor rye, the spice of an E.H. Taylor rye with a, with a uh, medium to full-bodied cigar, um, Fantastic. it's pretty incredible. That's a definitely yeah, another, a enjoyable experience. another another experience. Is Pikesville. It makes a great guy. Yeah.
1: That's really really nice with it too. Uh, yeah, anything that has a little bit of spiciness and a little bit of heat to it mm-hmm. is going to be nice. Um, scotch can be hit and miss. I know that classically we think of Scotch and and cigars as going together because they're both really manly. Yeah. Uh, but you have to be careful with scotch, man, because there's some wonky flavors you get in scotch. Yeah. And so if you don't pair it really well, then you're going to be... It can be... Uh, it can ruin the experience. Okay. So.
0: Good. Good to know.
1: Whereas bourbon, is, it's generally going to be sweeter, and, and it's got the backbone to hold up to it. Yeah. It's going to be usually a safe bet.
0: Um, all right. Last question. Desert Island Cigar. Mm. You got one in mind?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Desert Island Cigar. I'm assuming because I'm a desert island, I can smoke. All I'm going to do is smoke all day, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm probably just die there and not get captured. Yeah. Uh, so or rescued rather. Um, so I would probably go with the cigar that is my go-to uh, that I smoke on a regular basis, uh, mostly because it's got a lot going on and it's it's kind of the simplicity of it that I love it. And that's gonna be an Arturo Fuente Hemingway. Okay. Uh, that's a great cigar. And like a lot of uh, like you know if you eat too heavy of a flavor of food something that's really strong in one direction yeah. you get sick of it really quick right? yeah like you don't eat it so often yeah whereas you know you think of like something really standard like toast probably never get sick of toast right yeah, yeah. Not, not to compare the awesome Hemingway cigar to toast but it has it's it's really just well balanced across the board okay it's got a lot going on it's not really strong in any one direction and so for that reason I would probably pick it as a cigar I could smoke every day for the rest of my life yeah
0: so. Man, I, I appreciate the time. I mean, I feel like this has uh, been a great intro into just the brief history of cigars, giving some practical user information on how to get started if you want to smoke. Um, where can we find you online if people want to uh, find more about what you're doing? If you want to give a yeah. quick little, uh, quick little rundown it. of uh, who you are and what you yeah, do. Yeah, well, thanks
1: for having me. First of all, so uh, I run a company called Slatewood Club. Uh, we do events specifically for men that allow them to better themselves and really focus on building community in their lives and also, uh, building their character up. And so cigars come into that a lot because cigars are a great sort of community function. Uh, so we host kind of retreats and also kind of monthly gatherings here in Nashville. And we are just about to launch a podcast actually that will have a lot of really cool guests. Uh, so if you're a guy and you're looking to kind of take your life to the next level in some way. Um, and obviously you are, if you're already listening to the millennial wine group podcast, cause you care about things that are a little, uh, finer in life. Um, it's a great place to go. We'll have some really cool conversations with, uh, some performance coaches, some guys, uh, we just interviewed a guy named AJ Harbinger who helps men overcome social anxiety. We have some great, uh, some great interviews, uh, kind of coming up the next few weeks here. So definitely uh, take a chance, go into iTunes and go look for us, the slatewood club podcast is probably the best place to keep up with
0: us. And online at slatewoodclub.com, and especially Instagram. If you uh, yeah. if your ADD kicks in, you <laughs> want to look at some pictures. Absolutely. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for uh, coming out today, bringing cigars and rum with you. Yeah. It's the be- the best carrot package you could have brought. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the time, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you.